Now let's take our Bibles and let's look towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews, James, and then you're going to find uh, 1 Peter. We're going to get into that epistle today as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 4, and 5. Hunter did a good job introducing the beginning of this text to us, this great letter that we're going to work through verse by verse, and I'm appreciative of that. I am reminded that uh, here you have a, a group of people, Hebrew Christians who have been dispersed in the diaspora. Uh, they have come under fairly intense persecution. It had been the way for many a Jewish person throughout history. It is continuing in that even today. A lot of hatred moves towards the people that God has chosen. And in this case, they had that experience and they were dispersed around the region, uh, far to the west, far to the east, and even down south. And the people that Peter is writing to are actually, they have been dispersed northern, in the northern territory. They have gone into Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey. And can you imagine the experience they have? Number one, they're hated because they're Jews. And so the Romans and others of the Greek culture had a polytheistic system. They, they believed in many gods were really taken aback that this monotheistic people, this people who served only one God, uh, were there living among them and they were detracting from their gods uh, because they, they rejected their gods. So that brought a lot of intense pressure and hatred towards them. And then they were Christians. They had determined that Christ was Messiah. And so all those who were following Judaism were hating those who were now following Christ. They had this rich heritage of the Old Testament, but they had come to discover that Christ Jesus is the Messiah. And so they were very isolated, ostracized. And if it were not for their church, if it was not for the ecclesia, the gathering of the saints then they would be miserable. But God had given them the pleasure of being assembled together in small pockets of churches. Many of those were secret churches throughout the region. And, and so when, when God determined that he was going to provide for them encouragement, he inspired Peter to write this great letter and disperse that letter among all those people in the churches. These Christians needed to understand that God's provision for them in such times of hardship and their, and their calamity that they were experiencing did not negate their identity, their eternal identity in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord is giving them his immeasurable goodness of truth through this letter. So this is not just a letter of a guy who pastors and who, who uh, preaches. This is a letter of a guy who has been inspired by God's Spirit to encourage the saints who are going through very difficult days. All Christians need a clear understanding of their biblical identity in Christ Jesus. Whether they're downtrodden or persecuted or they're living with prosperity and peace, every Christian needs to fixate on our hope that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. So when God determined to uplift those saints who were living under the hardship abroad, he inspired Peter to write this letter to them. And then they would circulate that letter among other churches. God's first words of the letter were assuring to them. 
Even though they have been rejected and removed from their home and their land, God wanted them to know right out of the gate that he foreknew them and he chose them. He provided grace for them and he provided peace to them. So upon mentioning those truths that you have the foreknowledge of God, you are the elect of God, Peter just burst out in what is called a doxology. It's a, it's a statement of praise that ascribes glory to God. So it's common for New Testament writers to do that. In fact, wherever you have rich theological statements, you often have rich doxologies. Those kind of go linked together. And so when you hear something that is of God, the character of God that brings glory to God, there's something in us by his spirit that just prompts a bless God, a praise God. That's what we were just singing that a moment ago. Just praise God. We, we erupted in song singing hallelujah. Just singing the blessings of God because there are truths that just prompt us to do that. And the New Testament writers did that throughout their scripture. So you have this in Luke and Romans and 2 Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Timothy, Hebrews, Jude, Revelation. And there are four such doxologies written in Peter's epistles as well. Three of them in the first epistle which you're studying right now with me. So as an example of this, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that Jesus came to save sinners. And so when we hear a truth like that, Jesus came to save sinners, it sort of prompts us to say, praise God, or amen, or bless him, or hallelujah, because we recognize that's our hope. And so he shares that Christ came to save sinners, and then he gives a very succinct statement of his own testimony. I mean, this is, this is putting it all down in a reduced sentence. I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. And that statement alone prompted him to write a great doxology which is found in verse 16 and 17 of that same chapter. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, as the most of all sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And here's the doxology. To the king of, of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's that doxology, just a rejoicing of praise to him. I think you'll see that as you're reading through the scriptures over and over. If you're just attuned to that, you'll see that and you'll say, oh, there's a, there's a rich theology that's prompted the writer to just praise God for his glory. And that's what Peter is doing today in the three verses that we're focusing on. He started out by telling us about God's greatness, about his rescue, about his predestination for those he's elected. And then he just erupts in great praise to the glory of God. So let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Take a breath. <laughs> 
Yeah, the reason why I say that is because verses 3 through 12 are actually one huge sentence without a period. Now, we have it that way in the English uh, because we need those periods where we can take a breath. But Peter started this just great praise, this proclamation about God's glorious character, and he just went on and on and on. It's going to take us about three Sundays to get through that one sentence because it's just full of truth and glory unto God. So if this, this statement alone that I just read to you is received by the readers, including us, the truths of the doxology will carry us through very difficult days and season. And if our whole life is mixed with sorrow, which it is, this is the kind of text that lifts us above that. It points us to something greater. It points us to the glory of God and all the promises that are accomplished in Jesus Christ. So I just want to focus this message today on blessing God. Just bless God. And I'm going to encourage you to echo those two words back to me periodically through the message. So if I say bless God and point to you, you just say bless God back. Ready? Bless God. Bless God. Oh, you sound good. There's something about that. It just causes me to smile. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Now, it was common for Jewish people to bless God. It was in their liturgy. They would just bless God periodically in their gathering together for worship. It was common in the, in the Psalms. It was common throughout the Scripture. And they would just bless God. In fact, if you went to the synagogue, you would often go for the standing prayers and other parts of the service. There were standing three standing prayers that were given morning, noon, and night in the synagogues. And those, those prayers are called the 18 blessings. And there are 18 statements that bless God. And at the conclusion of each of those, they would repeat, Bless be thou, O Lord, our God. And so throughout that 18 statement of prayer, for three times a day, no less than 54 times, the people of Israel were blessing God in the synagogues. The worshipers blessed God continuously. And so now Peter is calling the readers to bless God no matter their location. Okay, you're not able to gather as you once did in the places where you once were. But as you do gather and you bless God, bless him richly. Because though your circumstances are difficult, they have not changed God's character. They have not changed his promises towards you. They have not changed his hope that is given to you. They have not changed your identity in Jesus Christ. And that identity changes everything. So you know what Peter is calling them to do? Bless God. Bless God. Oh, you're pretty quick, about half of you. The other come about 10 minutes early in Cafe 59 will encourage you to be a little bit quicker. <laughs> so he says, bless God for he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Let me state that another way. Bless God, bless God. for the first person of the Trinity, the Father of his only begotten Son, Jesus. So he's singularly focusing on blessing God the Father God and Father of our Lord Jesus. 
So this Trinitarian relationship, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, is unlike any other. It's hard for us to wrap our head, head around this three-person, one God that we serve and honor. But now notably, we are adopted into the family of God by faith. And it brings about an astonishing turn of events. And this verse kind of highlights that. For God calls us sons and daughters, and we call him Father. Now that truth alone causes us to bless God. Amen. <laughs> I say it's astonishing because we are all born as children of wrath. Let that sink in for a moment. Born as children of wrath. Because of God's goodness, he adopted us into his own family and calls us sons and daughters. So according to Ephesians chapter 2, 3, we are children of wrath under the judgment of God because of our sin. And of course, we were born into sin, which is passed generationally by our fathers, However, Jesus is radically different. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. He was naturally the Son of God. Now, we have become children of God by his merciful and gracious provision through adoption, but Jesus was different. Jesus did not have an earthly father. He was conceived by the Spirit of God, and God himself was his Father. And so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice those last three words, Lord Jesus Christ, because Peter not only calls on Christians to bless God, but he draws attention to this very crucial aspect of Jesus by using the word Lord. Now the Greek word for Lord is kurios, which is the translation of the Old Testament word Adonai. And Adonai is a word that is only used of God. You're not going to find it in any other titled person. It's a word distinct for God. It draws attention to the crucial aspect of God, the title of God, calling attention to his sovereignty. It, it is an announcement of his supremacy. So Jesus is Messiah, the Christ, and he is Lord. He is the supreme sovereign God. Now this reality assures us that one day every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth or under the earth, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the, to the glory of God, Christ himself is supreme. He is sovereign. He is Lord. Now, in the New Testament days, this was so impactful that in the New Testament days, the first confession of faith was very short, but it was meaningful. Curios Jesus. Curios Jesus. When you step into the waters of baptism here, we carry that tradition. We proclaim from the pool this testimony about Christ. Jesus is Lord. And what we're saying there is 
not just that he is the supreme, the sovereign, but he is that in us, to us, for us, that we are submissive to him in his position of Christ. We are submission in that he is master and we are slaves unto him and his righteousness. But we also testify that he is supreme and he is sovereign. He is divine. And so when our people make their proclamation from the pool. They are testifying that Jesus is Lord. It's a big deal. So Peter is helping us to discover how big that is by saying, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. R.C. Sproul said it this way, summarizing, Jesus shares with his Father the fullness of deity and sovereignty, and the Father himself, who is pleased to bestow the title, Curios, upon his only begotten Son. So we bless God because he is God and the Father, or the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at the second thing that I wanted to draw your attention to. Bless God who causes us to be born again to a living hope through Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this statement, but let me just point to a few things. Christians exist by the mercy of God. It's only by the mercy of God that we exist as Christians. Our only hope is that God extended mercy to us, and that is great news. It's great news because you and I can do nothing to change our sinful condition. We can do nothing to alter the record of sin that was held against us. And we can do nothing to deter the disposition of sin that we were born in. We needed something greater than us to get out of this mess. We needed the mercy of God. And God has extended his great mercy to us. We need God to mercifully and lovingly call us and cause us to be born again. And he does precisely that. In his determination, God regenerates people. He provides his word, his grace, his faith that is required for justification. God supplies everything about our salvation. Its origination, its continuation, its completion in glorification. Perhaps there's no other verse that is more signal, signaling and encouraging to us regarding God's provision than in Ephesians chapter 2. You're probably familiar with it if you're a student of the Bible, but it's one that we ought to go back to regularly. Look at it. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great, uh, the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, how, how many dead people can do anything for themselves? Nothing. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Who did that? God did that. And he did that with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's a gift, right? You've done nothing to, me to measure any reward for that. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right, now catch this. Christians have no more to do with our spiritual birth than we did with our physical birth. You didn't bring conception upon yourself. You didn't bring life to yourself. No, somebody else brought that. Somebody else. Our birth is dependent on somebody else to conceive it. And so God willed our spiritual conception and provided every means necessary to accomplish it. Bless God. Bless God. 
Yeah, you were waiting on that one, weren't you? Yeah, when you recognize what God has provided for you, you just can't help but bless him. That when you were dead, God said, no, I'm going to make you alive. When you were a sinner, God said, no, I'm going to make you a saint. When there was no hope, God said, I'm going to give you grace. So bless God. Yes. Amen, church. I like the way Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 6 say it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, Paul echoes those same words. You know where they're pulling that from? They're pulling that from the rich history of the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, you're going to find bless God, bless God, bless God. And throughout the, the liturgy of the Hebrews, you're going to find that. It's a repetitive phrase. And so Paul and Peter pick up on this and they begin to ascribe the great blessings to God, the Father of Jesus Christ. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now just that one section, I cannot grab that one. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Some people say, oh no, you got to decide this, you got to do that, you got to get to this point. No, no, no. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Now some people get really rattled by that. I say bless God to that. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, God does not want you to be troubled by those kind of truths. He desires those kind of truths to bring peace and assurance to you. Our salvation originates with God. He sustains it and he completes it. If you want to hear it from the mouth of Jesus, he said it in John chapter 10. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus says, I'm doing this. Father, you gave them to me. I'm holding on to them. I'm providing it for them, and nothing will take them away from me. And so bless God for choosing and making us born again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. For we were dead in our sins, so God gave us a new birth and a new life. We were children of wrath, and God adopted us into his family, making us children of his so, man, I pray that everybody in this room and those who are listening on the radio right now, those who are watching the streaming broadcast on the Internet, I pray that you will receive in faith God's provision by confessing your sin and your life to be repented from sin unto his righteousness and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Then this last blessing, bless God. For his inheritance. In Christ Jesus, we are born again into this inheritance. And look what he says about this inheritance it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. So, our salvation provides hope for today and great promises for tomorrow in the future of heaven. Those promises are our inheritance. 
So Peter is writing about an inheritance that is really unknown to any part of mankind. This, this inheritance is different. He is not talking about your parents willing their CRV to you. He's not talking about some pile of cash that statisticians say will actually be spent within the first year of our receiving it. I've told my parents, uh, you better spend that inheritance of ours because if you don't, I am guaranteed to do it. <laughs> I was with Larry and Carolyn Parker on a trip just recently with 55 Plus, and he walked away. He said, I've learned one thing from my pastor. That is, if I don't spend it, my kids will. <laughs> that's that's uh, pretty good advice. sort of regretted giving that advice to my parents, but nonetheless, it's good <laughs> advice. So the Christian inheritance is so vast and so huge and so glorious that the best Peter can do to describe it is to tell us what it is not. And he gives us three words to focus in on. He says it's imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. Let's just sort of let that open up to us for a minute. It is imperishable. It is unable to pass away. Now, you and I cannot grab hold of that because everything that we know passes away. I've been teaching my grandson, my little three-year-old grandson, about uh, life and about how all things that are living go back to the dirt. That uh, when something dies, it, it goes back to the dirt. We saw something that was dead. It was a snake that my oldest son had killed. And he wanted to see it. And it was about a week later. And I said, well, you know, the way God makes this thing work is it's about halfway to dirt already. But he wanted to see it nonetheless. Everything we know is that way. It is perishable. It's, it's always going away, passing away, going back to what is uh, organic. But in heaven, the inheritance that is awaiting us, the inheritance that is treasured in heaven, guarded by God himself, it is unending. It will never, ever end. It is inexhaustible. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Never affected by anything that causes its decay. It is undefiled, it's unpolluted, it's unstained by evil, it's never touched and affected by sin. Everything that we know has the curse of sin against it, and it is constantly in that defiled state. But in heaven, everything is perpetually perfect. What an inheritance. And he says that it is unfading, it is never subject to withering, never subject to decay, inexhaustible. What an inheritance. W.F. Bear writes that our inheritance is untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. It is compounded of immortality, purity, and beauty. And the result is something that is absolutely glorious. And God says it is treasured for you, waiting for you, always to be there for you. So my friends, everything that we hold today is perishing, it's defiled, it is fading, 
And such a reality reminds us of Jesus' words to not amass in this life treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, he instructs us to lay up our treasures in heaven where those kind of things do not happen. I'm so grateful for the concept that has been received by so many in Meadowbrook who recognize that God has entrusted them to put their treasure in something that is eternal. So time and resources and energy get funded in ways that have an eternal bank. Their resource is being supplied for them by God in a treasure in heaven and they know that. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no death. No evil will be present. Nothing will subject any part of eternity with defilement. There's nothing that will exist except what is perfect and right and glorious. Now, it is hard for us to imagine a life like that. It's hard for us to imagine life with Christ for all eternity where worship and exploration and discovery and production without any kind of loss leading with all the privilege unto the glory of Christ and relating to creation without any aspect in which we experience now like fear and regret and failure. None of that is going to be there. It's an amazing opportunity that he's saying discover the inheritance that is waiting for you. Let your focus be there. And so no wonder, Peter says, bless God. Yeah, because God is worthy to be blessed. So the purpose of this whole letter is because there's people that are scattered abroad that are going through a lot of calamity. And the culture is coming against them pretty hard. And later the culture is going to try to sway them pretty fast to go into their sinful ways. And Peter scribes out this letter and hopes to encourage them to take their focus on all their misery and all their fighting that comes against them and all the belittlement and all the ostracization and to bring that focus up higher, to take it off the temporary and put it on the eternal. To take it away from all that you've lost and all the sorrow and all the pain and all the grieving and to put it on the treasure that is going to be eternal, kept for you, secure in heaven. He tells them to not bank on the things of this world because it's fading away. But serve the kingdom of God. Put first the kingdom of God and he will account for them all kinds of things that are perpetually perfect unending, unceasing. Put your focus there. Some of us in this room have faced real calamity and your heart is hurting. And on a day like Mother's Day or Father's Day or Christmas, whatever it is, that loss gets elevated a little bit more, doesn't it? So God has brought his word to us, and he says, I'll put your vision a little bit higher. Put your heart a little bit deeper in this truth. Recognize that God is the God of blessings, who has made promises, and those promises are your inheritance, and they are guaranteed by him. And even though your heart hurts, 
bless God. Yeah. Bless God. That's how we can walk away from a doctor's office. We can walk away from a career. We can walk away from tragedy and whisper, bless God. Because we know it hasn't changed our identity. It hadn't changed in any way God's promises. All that he said is being held true. But now listen. That inheritance is only for those who have faith in God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity today to know who Jesus is as Master and Lord. I want you to have the rich blessing of being in relationship with Christ, and I want you to have the inheritance that Christ affords. And so if you've come into this place today, it's not by chance, it's by the wooing of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I thought it was by the invitation of my mom to join her for church on Mother's Day. Oh, it's by the wooing of the Holy Spirit through your mom. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, then you remain in your sin. That means you're still a child of wrath. God's judgment is rightfully upon you, for he is a just God and requires that every sin be paid for. But he has so much love for you who have been made in his image that he gave his only begotten son that you wouldn't have to perish. But by exercising the faith that he is giving to you, you too can be justified of your sin and made right by the declaration of Christ. But you'll have to do it by faith. Trusting him, believing in him, yielding yourself to him, submitting to him, walking differently from this day forward with his spirit. And I invite you to do that very thing. Lord, in this place, you have drawn people for various reasons. And I pray all of us are touched by your word today. Moving in agreement to it, moving faithfully in it. I pray for the ones who are lost, coming to the discovery of Christ our Lord. And I pray, Lord, that they would give themselves to you in faith as you have provided for them. And I pray for the number in this room who have received grace and just needed to be reminded of the treasures of our great God. And how, Lord, our lives need to be filled with doxologies of praise and blessings unto you. So help us, God, by your Spirit to treasure and to express the treasure of truth that is given to us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.